0: Alan chooses is a book critic for NPR's All Things Considered, a writer and a novelist. His newest work of nonfiction is a collection of travel essays titled A Trance After Breakfast. His newest novel is A Song of Slaves in the Desert. His new collection of novellas is Paradise or Eat Your Face. Thank you for joining me, Alan.
1: Great pleasure again, Rick.
0: We're here to look at some short story collections. Yeah. And the short story, single author short story collection... I am told, ranks lowest on the list of things that publishers want to publish. Yeah, that's uh,
1: traditionally that's been that way, except for a kind of burst of enthusiasm for the short story after Ray Carver started becoming so popular among a certain class of readers. And then they couldn't get enough short stories, and then they went back to the old rubric that they want novels. They'll buy your short story collection if they, you promise them a novel. And now... Um, all the rules are out though. You know, people publish short story collections by the score under their own imprints. They practically come around to your door and give you their short story collections as though it were their Bible salesman. But it's the short story is a wonderful form. It's an extraordinary form. A new form and it really only began uh, with the advent of uh, magazines, po- the popular press. And I've pinpointed it with the help of some scholars to the editor of Blackwell's magazine asking Edgar Allan Poe for some copy to put in between all the advertisements he had in his pages. Because, you know, Blackwell's was London Gentleman's Magazine. They read it on the the train as they came into London and he couldn't sell them just the advertisements. He needed stuff to put in the middle of it. And so Poe published his first mystery stories there in Blackwell's.
0: Isn't that interesting? You know, Stan Lee, creator of Spider-Man and mm-hmm. all our current comic icons, got his first gig doing essentially the same thing. They asked him to write a couple prose pieces between the the comics so mm-hmm. that they could mail them out second class.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so It's an odd, uh, odd time we live in. So the short story form, I mean, you know, as opposed to the fable, the anecdote, the life of the saint is a, is a really quite a new form.
0: But you know, I, I think too, it. I was thinking about this, and in many ways the short story to a degree it largely defined big chunks of American literature. You think of Poe, you think of Washington Irving, Think of Nathaniel Hawthorne.
1: Those, are, yeah, those go out of the tradition of the tale. I think.
0: Yeah, and they, but they also, too that they're all kind of strange tales, which is I think is interesting. There are strange stories. Something weird is happening in
1: them. So it's not any of those things. It's not a fable. It's not an anecdote. It's not a life of the saint. It's not a tale. But as you say, early American fiction does begin with some tales or tale-like pieces that resemble the short story, in that they're short, and resemble the tale, in that they meander along. So it kind of hybrids. Legends of Sleepy Hollow.
0: Exactly. But if you look at... Young Goodman Brown.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that is one of the most interesting... <coughs> that is one of the most interesting stories because it has one foot in the old world, one foot in the new world. I mean, that was Hawthorne's signature style. He plays with the possibility of the supernatural, but also at the same time looks it in the eyes as it doesn't exist. So Hawthorne and Poe are, are trying to make short stories. I think Poe actually succeeds in those radiocinations, in the mystery stories. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, what we have before us now is something entirely new and different. Three collections. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Alex Olin's first because I think her, her terrain is more familiar of what we currently think of as the, the American short story. Yeah, it's,
1: it's serious realism. And she writes very powerfully in uh, both third person and first person. And, and, and as with many writers, she seems possessed by a kind of genius. I mean, if you just look at the whole range of realistic stories, I mean, you'll probably find 30, 40, 50 books that have come out in the last couple of years, and they all have certain strengths. They have a certain sense of plot. Some of them have a good, deep sense of character. Some of them use language very effectively with respect to raising up certain emotions in the reader. She's got all of that working in in almost all of her stories. She's a non-American, I have to say, you know, she's from Canada, (laughs) but she's planted her her anchor here in the States. She just has a a very good ear and she knows how to shape the gossip that she hears or, you know, stories that she plays with in her mind or dreams into really effective short stories.
0: I think it's interesting how effective her use of the short form is Mm -hmm. in terms of getting us quickly to the place, the person, Mm -hmm. the problem, Mm -hmm. and then carrying us to the new person, the solution, the end, end game in a manner that's Really grips us as readers and gets all three across, and that's not easy. It's a really, it's a really um, interesting to to watch her do this in in the variety of voices and situations that she covers. Yeah,
1: uh, she's really. I mean, she's a relatively young woman, and uh, she goes into the minds of husbands, of wives, uh, parents, children. She does it so well. She makes it. Here's the proof of her her native genius. She makes it seem easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, you just sit down and you and you write a story. I've met her a couple of times, but I've never asked her how many times you know she revises anyone's story. My guess would be that she probably revises a lot, on the other hand, who knows. And if she doesn't revise, then well, we'll elevate her to sainthood.
0: We're scared. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh one of the things I think that's uh, so interesting about her stories too is that when you get somebody who has the ability to summon all those aspects, uh, uh, a great character, beautiful prose, a a fantastic sense of place, is that you realize that the short story can give you much of what you have in a novel, in a short story. And and especially for those in these attention deficit times, this is a great way to sit down and and get read.
1: Well, Malamud used to say, certainly one of the masters of the American short story, Malamud used to say, a short story predicates a life. It gives you everything that you need to know about the character's life so that you don't need to know what's going to happen next. You have a sense of it. So it's all the material that you wouldn't put in a novel, that you that you don't need a novel with these characters. There's that waggish, sketchy piece, sketchy in the good sense, and that's a sketch-like piece by Cheever. Some things that I'm not going to put in my next novel, is, I, I, I'm getting the title sort of right there. Malamud, you know, would make a story and say, there, in effect, say, there, now you know enough about these people so that I don't have to write a novel about them. And one of the great senses, I think, that young writers need to develop is the ability to know the difference between material that's going to make a story material that n- needs novel length to, to find some success and completion.
0: Oh, that's an interesting observation because so much stuff... In that in novels sometimes just seems like kind of bloated out and, and you're just going, well, wait.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm sure you know, we could come up with a number of novels if we had the time where, that we, we wish had been short stories. Come, you know, there are a couple of famous examples of you know, the other direction, though. Uh, Lord Jim started mm-hmm. out as a short story and he, he didn't feel finally that it was complete. Uh, Under the Volcano started as a short story oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, thank the gods that he decided to turn that into a novel. But I think for the most part, uh, story there, are, I mean, as you say, there are probably novels you wish were stories and stories you wish were novels. But those are, those are in the minority, I think. A really good story tells you everything you need to know about everything in it. And so you can move on to the next, which is this makes writing stories so satisfactory in that you, you you can do it in four, six weeks, seven weeks. I always use the Cheever rule, you know. I said, How long is it I said once asked Cheever, I said, How long does it take you to get a story right? He says, Well, no more than three months. So I've always used that as a, a rule. Said, you never want to work on a story more than three months.
0: Well, that's really an interesting observation, Ed. Now, uh, I think, too, one of the things I like about a collection of short stories like this is how much range and insight it gives. A, a, I mean, th- this is a great portrait of today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot find a better portrait of how people live, both externally and internally. And I think that's one of the things that's nice, too, about a story, is that it gives us both those kinds of lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking, as you say that, I wonder if... Uh Alex O'Lean's, uh Canadian upbringing have given her a kind of objectivity about middle class life in America, so that um, she can make the stories to such perfection.
0: You know that makes sense, sure, because there's enough of a feeling. There is a bit of a feeling of the outsider in these stories, isn't mm-hmm. there? I mm-hmm. mean, and it's just enough to give us a sense of perspective. Yeah. You need to be able to set step back to see the third dimension.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And, and I was thinking also when I was talking about how gratifying it is to be able to produce something serious and shapely and inventive and with a little look deeply emotive at, in three months is that the other side of that is when you're three months is up and you've done the story, then you have to go on to another one. Whereas if you work in a novel... You can spend years on it, and and you don't have to worry about what to do the next day.
0: <laughs> well, there's the there's the uh, the joys of the life of a working writer. And speaking of working writers, a guy who also has, I think, captures the feel of America amazingly, even though he's an expatriate and spends all his time in Vienna, is Jonathan Carroll. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a man who's highly undernoticed in
1: america absolutely i mean i'm you know ever since i started reading his work oh i don't know 20 25 years ago i mean i push his books on anybody who who's pushable but he just doesn't seem to have caught on um i mean i reviewed uh holes in the rain is it for the new york times book review when did that come out 15 20 mm-hmm. years ago i mean i i I don't know what's happened to his reputation. I mean, he's got no reputation at all in this country.
0: Well, everybody who's ever read them that I know has absolutely yeah. stark raving mad about him and with yeah. good reason. And I mean, these stories, uh, it's a new collection of short stories the man, The Woman Who Married a Cloud, which coming uh, out from Subterranean Press. Thank them very much. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's I mean, the stories are so good and there's so many of them. I mean, it's really like that meal that my wife always hopes she'll have some birthday sometime in the future, which is a, a meal of desserts. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'll that, kill you. Yes, <laughs> but I mean, you cannot read these stories one after another after another because they're all so good and so delicious that it'll it'll ruin your taste buds.
0: Exactly. I, I think. Yeah. This is. Uh, Uh, reading this entire collection in one sitting in one straight-through thing is kind of like drinking uh, you know uh, an entire bottle of really good whiskey Uh, ill-advised at best after about the first two glasses you're not gonna know that you're getting the good stuff
1: so if we can identify him and I don't mean to classify him like he's a you know a butterfly to be pinned on a on a board but I mean I see him as growing out of the whimsy tradition uh, you know, Saki, H. Monroe, um, and uh, he does these stories that seem so innocent when they begin, and it, it like the famous lobster in the pot of water that somebody's <laughs> heated up, at a certain point, you you realize you're in another world, you're in another dimension.
0: And, and two, he's he's so Cheerful and funny and full of love of life, and yet he can turn so sinister and capture the razors of darkness. You know, I mean,
1: I I think the nastiest story in this collection—it's a story about a man who goes to hell. It's called the Jane Fonda Room, and he gets to the ante room of hell, and they're all very nice and efficient, and they take him into the office and they say, they give him a list of things he can spend eternity doing, and he chooses the Jane Fonda Room, and he goes in and discovers. There's an endless reel of Jane Fonda movies, one after another after another to eternity. <laughs> I mean that that is the nastiest story I can imagine. I mean it's same, it's, it's a joke but it's not. No, I mean no. and it makes you think, can you imagine that kind of torture? You'd welcome fire and brimstone. <laughs>
0: what's so interesting about him too is I, he's so witty to read his stories there are so many sentences he's a brilliant writer of sentences and jokes and his prose style is so lively you just go wow how it's bubbly and vivacious
1: yeah he's I got a, he's got a good again he's got a good ear but it may that may well be because he's lived in austria most of his adult life teaching at, I guess he teaches at a private high school in Vienna. Hemingway found himself in the same situation. You can hear American more sharply when it's played out against foreign voices.
0: That's an interesting observation. I never heard that before, but that would make sense.
1: Yeah, so he he listens carefully to American English, I think, and and writes carefully about it, even though it does seem rather offhand, which is the same way those stories work, as I was saying earlier. I think Mm -hmm. they were... You know, you think, oh, this is just an innocent little story about uh, two women talking about a dating service they're using. And then before you know it, you realize the dating service is an alien dating service. And aliens come to Earth and they change their horrid forms into the forms of Earthlings. And these women get to have, you know, guys in their lives because these aliens want to be, want to live in Earth's atmosphere.
0: Well, it's so interesting that I, I think that he the way he uses his uh, sense of the fantastic, it seems so every day, I mean, you never question what's going on in his stories. Yeah. It's just very uh, mm-hmm. straightforward. Yeah. And, and this collection, too, for people who have read him, has a lot of stuff that hasn't been published, oh, yeah. that's really hard to find. Yeah. I can't tell you how much I paid for the Heidelberg Cylinder.
1: Yeah, I actually, when I got the galley proofs, I a- it, it didn't include the acknowledgments, so I didn't know where the stories came from. Mm-hmm. And and so, th- so they sent me a, a copy of the acknowledgments that w- appears in the finished book. And what you realize is he's been publishing rather steadily in fantasy and science fiction and a number of other uh, mainstream magazines. Mm-hmm. And which means he should have some kind of following, some reputation, but
0: I, where I is it? We hope that he'll get one. I... I to me, also his kind of wit reminds me a, a lot of, I think, some vintage Woody Allen stuff. I mm-hmm. think the way he looks at, examines the way men and women interact. And I think he really nails that mm-hmm. in his stories. That's one of the thing, appeals for me mm-hmm. of his stories is the mm-hmm. way he captures the thorny nature of relationships. Mm-hmm. He's really got that down.
1: Whether in, with real people or imaginary people or ghosts or aliens. Yes. Or, I mean, you know, that lead story, Mr. Fiddlehead.
0: Mr. Fiddlehead is gnarly.
1: Yeah, this woman conjures up this childhood companion who begins to live not only in her life, but in the life of her best friend. And it's very bizarre.
0: (laughs) And and I think he's also such a... He captures uh, the variety of life, too. I mean... With regards to using um, the elements of the fantastic, you really never know what you're going to get in a Jonathan Carroll story mm-hmm. or in a novel either. I mean, yeah. they're all very, very different. Well, you know
1: in the novels you're, you're going to get a,
0: a dog. <laughs> he's a dog person. Yeah, he's a dog person. He, he's told me that uh, dogs are angels, he believes. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And uh, he has a,
1: a English bulldog. Huh. So. You've spoken to him. I've I had a... An email in which he thanked me for this recent review that I just did of this, but uh, never spoken to him directly. Although we both have the honor of having graduated from Rutgers University, huh? uh, full disclosure. But I, you know, he's years of, younger than I am, and uh, his uh, brother is Steve Reich, or brother-in-law, brother or brother-in-law, Steve Reich, the composer.
0: Really, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, our our third author. Charles Yu his new book is sorry please thank you and Charles Yu I I really like this guy and for all that we hear about short stories and people being inventive Charles Yu is he is the real deal when it comes to doing something very very different
1: it's experimental i mean it's a, it's a validly experimental but i think that the um the first story in the book shows us something about him that we have to really pay attention to, which is, the story is called Standard Loneliness Package. And it's about a company that, where you can outsource your pain, whether it's pain of breaking up or pain of bereavement, any kind of human pain, you can hire someone to feel it for you and take care of it, which is, a, you know, a neat, the little ingenious gimmick, but he doesn't do it. You know, with just simply as Jim Crackery, he has a main character who begins to take on suffering in a way that he had not bargained for. And so the story begins to, you you begin to feel for the guy, which is unusual when you're dealing with experimental fiction. You know, if the watermark of experiment is Ulysses, this guy was working that tradition because for all of the innovation and all of the change and transformation that he makes in the form, you really do care about what's going on
0: yeah he manages to combine two very interesting and disparate elements extreme weirdness and extreme poignancy yes you really a good really way to put care it. about mm-hmm. these characters you mm-hmm. just it they're almost achingly real to you mm-hmm. and their situations are almost like projected against uh, a 20-point tetrahedron mm-hmm. in the end space through some kind of uh, fictional, science fictional metaphor. Yeah. And, and But yet when you put all those disparate pieces together, you come up with a real human being who's somebody you can really identify with. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I I'd agree. The, the feelings of love, of pain, of loss, all of that stuff yeah. comes out so much in his fiction in
1: stories that uh on the surface of things seem to be the exact portrait of of uh, the definition of the experimental according to to uh some realistic irish writers they look funny on the page there's odd topography there is a lot of white space but it all comes to this end of you know a certain creating a certain emotion for the characters and in the characters and in you the reader and some of it is um i think it was frank o'connor who said that experimental fiction is what what looks funny on the page but in a positive way i mean invoke war case because the story note to self that begins dear alternate self i read in the paper today about the quantum universe and how there are billions of me out there did you know about this i mean in a way that i mean that's uh, an offhand American plain style statement of the mode of Borges. Yo, me and Borges, Borges and myself, that Borges wrote. Well, you know, eight, seventy years ago, I think. It must be.
0: For but for all its its uh, strangeness and experimental nature, these stories are very easy to read. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to like wrap your brain around some kind of complicated not yeah. experiment. They're yeah. they're just uh, they're just kind of odd.
1: Well, yeah, but they're strong stories, mm-hmm. and I think it's again it's because of the language he works with. This uh, what I still call the American plain style. Mm-hmm. I mean, he works with a really uh, s- seemingly very simple uh, Demotic speech. Mm-hmm. Um, it's transparent. Yeah. It's ultimately transparent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree, and he. Does wonders makes wonderful things out of it.
0: It's it's certainly too. It's so
1: as opposed to people like me who be, sound like Shakespeare, Milton, and the Bible oh. when they write. But he's got this wonderful American plain speak.
0: Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with Shakespeare or the Bible. <laughs> well, but I think it can be a
1: liability. <laughs> I mean, he. I can't go to the Comic Con conference, right, to sh- show my wares. But he—he's. I saw a photograph of him in Publishers Weekly at the ComCon conference. And was it San Diego or LA? Yeah, Just, San
0: Diego, SDCC. Yeah, he was there. Well, I—I I think it's interesting that he was there. I think that uh, he might be a little bit too literary for most of that crowd, <laughs> and I don't mean literary in terms of highfalutin or. Experimental or conceptual. I, it's what you have here is a purely written piece. I mean, yeah. images don't help this. You can't, this, these stories don't say, make me into a movie. This is something that you yeah. can only really do in writing. And I think that's well, the ultimate um, upshot when you read this, when you're done reading it, is mm-hmm. you think, mm-hmm. you know, there's no other way I could have got that, Mm -hmm. had that experience, except to sit down with this book and Mm -hmm. turn the pages. I agree with you 100%. That's well said. I've been speaking with Alan (laughs) Chuse. We've been covering three books, including Charles Hughes, Sorry Please Thank You, Sorry
1: Please Thank You,
0: (laughs) The Collected Stories of Jonathan Carroll, The The Woman Who
1: Married a Cloud,
0: and Alex... That's the dating service. (laughs) (laughs) and Alex
1: Olins. Signs and Wonders. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Pleasure, Rick.